All right, let's read this together. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold. Now, when you hear that word, behold, it's kind of like, have you ever been to the circus? And the ringmaster says, Behold. And he presents some kind of act. Well, when Jesus says, Behold, it has the same kind of con common uh, connotation to it. The Lord wants to, to call your attention to something. Behold. And probably as Jesus in this setting is teaching this parable, our Lord looks up the hillside and he sees a farmer farming, planting seed. And probably if you put yourself in the crowd as Jesus is teaching this parable, our Lord says to the crowd, behold, look, look at the farmer. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some of the seed fell on stony grounds where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. Some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, it was about a year and a half into the ministry of our Lord. It was during his great Galilean ministry, in fact, that Jesus began to teach the crowds with parables. Now, recorded in the Gospels for us, there are almost 40 parables uh, that our Lord spoke. And the very first of these parables was what we know as the parables are the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. So let's first of all understand what is a parable? What is a parable? Now, Jesus didn't originate the use of parables. You'll find parables, in fact, in the Old Testament. And other teachers before Jesus and after Jesus used parables. So what is a parable? Well, the word translated parable means to throw alongside of, to cast alongside of to come alongside of. When you parallel park, now that is an art that many drivers have never learned to, uh, to master. You know? But when you parallel park, that means you park alongside of the curb. A paramedic, has a paramedic ever come to, to help you or to help somebody you, you know? A paramedic is one who comes alongside of a sick person or a injured person to help them. A paralegal is someone who comes alongside a lawyer to help the lawyer, to help him or her in their work. And it's interesting, in John 15, 26, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. Now the original word that Jesus used, it's translated comforter in the English language, but in the, the original language, the word that Jesus used was parakletos. That is translated in the English to be comforter. So what does that mean when Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter or the parakletos? 
Well, it means this, that the Holy Spirit of God comes alongside the Christian. And he comes alongside the Christian to help us to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit of God comes alongside of us to strengthen us and to help us and to encourage us and to give us help when we need help. The Holy Spirit of God is, I love the Holy Spirit. You should love the Holy Spirit. He's the person of the Trinity that when we are saved, he comes alongside of us to encourage us and guide us and direct us and help us as we yield control of our life to the Holy Spirit. He is our divine helper. He is our parakletos. And so what does that mean then when it comes to a parable? Here's what it means. When Jesus wanted to communicate a spiritual truth, he would often cast alongside that spiritual truth a story, an illustration, so that in understanding the story and the illustration, you understood the spiritual truth. And so Jesus would teach in parables, stories, illustrations. And if you understood the story, it would help you to understand the spiritual truth that Jesus was trying to illustrate and to communicate. So Jesus, as he is teaching now to the crowds, begins in a great way to use parables to illustrate and communicate spiritual truth. His disciples came to him and said, Lord, why are you using parables all of a sudden to teach the crowds? Jesus said, I use parables to help people to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, the truths of the kingdom, the truths of the Christian life. And so Jesus used these parables. He cast alongside these spirit, the spiritual truths, these stories, these illustrations from everyday life. Everyone in the crowd knew what a sower was, and he knew, as Jesus told this story, what the sower was doing, the farmer was doing. He was planting his seed in a prepared field. Jesus used that story, that scene from that time to illustrate a very important spiritual truth. So let's try to understand the story so that we can understand the spiritual truth that Jesus is communicating. And so in this parable, Jesus pictures a farmer. And I grew up on a farm. And my daddy would sow the seed. Now, my daddy didn't sow the seed the way they did in ancient times. We had tractors and planters and all of that kind of thing. And we, you know, my dad would use that to sow the seed. Well, in ancient times, ancient farmers, bless their hearts, they would prepare a plot of land. They would go in there and get all the rocks out and they'd get all the you know, everything they could get out, and then they would plow the, 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 the area, the plot of land. They would plow it. They would turn it up, and, you know, and send the kids out there to get all the sticks up and the rocks up and everything. And they would get the field prepared, ready for planting. And then they would take them a sack, a knapsack. It would go over the shoulder, and it would hang off to the side, and it would hold uh, a lot, several pounds of seed. And here's what the sower would do. He would then go across his prepared field, and he would scatter the seed. He would sow the seed. Now, when I was a kid, I was not very bright at times. 
And when I heard the, you know, the story of the, the parable of the sower, all I could see was my mama sitting at that old sewing machine, pumping the, the pedal of the sewing machine and sewing. Later on, thank God, I got a little smarter and a little sharper, and I came to understand what Jesus was saying. But here's the farmer. He's got his sack. He's walking through the field, and he's sowing his seed. He would come along later with another implement, and he would cover the seed. So Jesus, as he is teaching, he says, listen, everybody, behold, the sower went forth to sow. And then he gave us an illustration so that in understanding what he's talking about, we can understand the spiritual truth. So what is Jesus talking about in this parable? Well, first of all, let's identify the sower. The original sower of the seed is the Lord Jesus himself. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to sow the gospel, to spread the gospel, to distribute the gospel, to distribute the truth of God. The original sower of the seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into this world and he sowed the gospel throughout his life and his ministry. Now he's the original sower of the gospel, the original sower of the seed. Today, every Christian has the responsibility of being a sower of the seed. If you're a child of God, you have the responsibility now of sowing the seed, of spreading the gospel, of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, of spreading the truth of God. Every Christian now is a sower. You and I are sowers of the seed. What does that mean? That means that today every Christian has the responsibility of doing what we can do individually and collectively with our church family and with other Christians to spread and to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost world. What this world needs today is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, not the deluded message that is often presented in church life today, but the true and pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility as Christian people, as those who have been saved now, to put on the knapsack and wherever we are in the world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now. I know about farming a little bit. When my dad would go to the store and get the seed, if he had a two acre field to plant, he would get enough seed to plant that two acre field. He wouldn't come back with just enough seed maybe to plant one or two rows. He would come back with enough seed to plant the field and more. Ancient farmers didn't worry about just sprinkling a little bit of seed here and there. When they got their field ready, they spread that seed. They scattered that seed. They spread it generously. They covered it, the, the, the prepared land. They inundated the prepared land with seed. As ancient farmers shared the seed generously, you and I 
are to share the gospel of Jesus Christ freely, abundantly, generously. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for everybody. And we're to spread it generously. We're not to pick and choose who we're going to share the gospel with. We're not to call out people as being unworthy to receive the gospel. It is our responsibility to share the gospel generously to everybody. Everybody needs the gospel. We're not to say this group is not worthy to receive it. That group is not worthy to receive it. We're to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody. I grew up on a watermelon farm, cantaloupe farm. And every now and then we'd sell a load of cantaloupes, watermelons to buyers, and we'd be unloading our truck onto their truck. And every now and then my daddy, he would be watching and he would be observing. We'd pick up a watermelon and my daddy would say, nope, don't throw that on there. That's a cull. There's something wrong with that watermelon. It's marred in some way. He wanted to make sure that the buyer always got the best. And so we would put the culls to the side. It would have some kind of mar to it. Now, what did we do with the culls? We ate them. <laughs> That's what we did. We took them home and ate them. They were still good. They were just not pretty, kind of like me. I may be good, but I ain't pretty. But they were still good, but they were not pretty. Listen, sometimes people want to call people out as being unworthy to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know who Jesus died for when he died on that cross? He died for everybody. He died for everybody. I had a guy ask me one time, who should be allowed to come into your church? I said, everybody for whom Jesus died should be allowed to come into any church because Jesus died for everybody. So today, we are to sow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that by, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ as God gives us the opportunity. Christian in, Christians individually are to sow the gospel. When we have the opportunity to tell others about Jesus, we need to do it. They may laugh at you. They may reject you. They may threaten you. But every opportunity we have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, we need to do that. And churches are to sow the gospel of Jesus Christ. Coming together, working together in our evangelistic efforts, in our mission efforts to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know why this church is here? Not for our entertainment, not for our pleasure. Our church is here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Amen. We are to be sowers in this world, and this world needs the gospel. Now, second of all, what is the seed? <laughs> Jesus pictured this farmer sowing his seed. So we are to sow the seed today. And what is the seed? Well, Jesus identified the seed as the message about the kingdom. That's just another word for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to share the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You would be surprised today of the different answers you would get if you got a, a group of people together and asked them, and I'm talking about church people, what is the gospel? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 identified the gospel. You know what Paul said the gospel is? It's the story of Jesus. The gospel is the simple story of Jesus. The gospel is the story of who Jesus is. 
He's the Son of God who came into this world through the miracle of the incarnation and the virgin birth. He came into this world as the God-man, a human being, and the divine God. It's the story of who Jesus is. It's the story of His life. It's the story of what He has done. It's the story of how He went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. It's the story of how He arose again, victorious. Now He's Savior. Now He's Lord. It's the story of Jesus ascending into heaven. It's the story of Jesus coming back once again one day. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the story of what Jesus has done to make it possible that every person can be saved from the penalty of their sin by repenting of their sin and receiving Christ as their Savior and Lord. So many churches have abandoned the gospel. There are churches all across America where in which the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preached in years. And why would we want to abandon that message? Yes, people scoff at it. People make fun of it. People reject it. Yes, it's not politically correct. How dare you to judge me to call me a sinner? Yes, it doesn't fit into the modern culture of the world. But it is the message that is the power of God unto salvation. It was that then and it is that today. Amen. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We should not be ashamed of this story. We should not be ashamed of this story to try to fit what we say and what we proclaim and what we believe into the mold of this culture. No, we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tell the story of Jesus. Tell the story of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's done in your life. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. So we are sowers. We are to sow the seed. We are to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can do that individually. I know it's scary to share your faith with people sometimes. I've had that, that apprehension. I knew I needed to share the gospel with somebody, and I was apprehensive about it. Now, I could talk with them about the Georgia game all day long, but when you want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, there's just something about that apprehension that you have. I know. I feel your pain. I've been there. I've done that. But you know what? We need to tell them the story. We need to tell them the story. We need to tell them the story of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done and what he's done in our life. We need to do that individually. We need to do that collectively. We are sowers of the seed. And we exist. The purpose of our life as Christians is to share the gospel. The purpose of, the, of this church, the, the existence of this church is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live it out before a lost and a dying world. And so the sower, the first sower was Jesus, and now we're the sowers, and the seed we are to sow is the gospel. But then Jesus talks about the soils. In this parable, Jesus illustrates the different reactions that people are going to have to the gospel as we share it. You know, you think it's good news. Think about how long you did not receive or accept the gospel. Think about how long you rejected the gospel until you gave your life to Christ. What in the world was wrong with you? It's good news. 
God gave His Son to die for you, to save you from your sin. What took you so long to believe? What took me so long to believe? Scattered brain, hard-hearted rascal that I was. Sometimes when you share the gospel, people are going to have different reactions. Jesus saw it all. As Jesus taught and as he preached, he shared. The, the Son of God himself was often rejected. The message he preached was often rejected. And Jesus talks about some of the reactions that people will have as we scatter the seed in the world. He says sometimes, first of all, the gospel is heard by those who have hard hearts. These are people whose hearts are hardened and they are set in sin, in rejection. They don't want to hear the gospel. They're not interested in the gospel. You can shower them with the gospel, but the message never penetrates their hearts. The seed will land on our old hard hearts. And Jesus says, soon Satan will come and take what they've heard away. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not care to understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. I have shared the gospel and it didn't penetrate at all. You and I, when we share the gospel, it's going to fall on some old hard hearts. People who don't want to hear it. People who are not interested in it. People who just wave it off. Here you are sharing the message with them that will save their life in this world and save them in eternity. And they're not interested. They don't want to hear it. It does not penetrate. And they will reject it. And that's the heart of many people. So sometimes when you share the gospel, you'll run into some hard-hearted folks. They don't want to hear it. Oh, I have friends that have hard hearts. I have family members who have hard hearts. I've shared the gospel with them. And it looks like it never makes an effect, never has an effect. So what do you do when you share the gospel to an old hard-hearted person? Well, the first thing you do or you don't do is you don't give up. <laughs> you keep as God gives you. Now, you don't, you know, just constantly preach at them and try to beat them down. That's not going to work. But you pray for them. And when God gives you the opportunity, you express your Christian faith and you share your Christian faith. And you never, ever, never, ever, never, ever give up praying for them and reaching out to them because here's a good thing even God can break up an old hard heart <laughs> and you never know a person can reject the gospel for years and years and years and all of a sudden God begins to do his work in their heart and all of a sudden their eyes are open and they come to understand God can break up a hard heart, so don't give up. Don't give up. But there's a warning in this. The longer a person rejects the gospel, the harder their heart becomes toward the gospel. You and I are human beings. We have certain tendencies and traits. The human heart tends toward fixation. In other words, what you are today, you're going to be more like that tomorrow. It's like concrete that, that sets over time. 
who you are today, what you are today, you're going to be more like that tomorrow. The human heart tends toward fixation. The person who says no to the gospel today will find it easier to say no to the gospel tomorrow. The human heart tends toward fixation. That's why we need to pray for old folks to get saved. They've heard the gospel over and over and over again all of their life. And they still say, no, no, year after year, no, 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 no. And as time goes by, their hearts get harder and harder. You study any statistics of people who give their life to Christ, and almost all of them will reveal that those who give their life to Christ the most are young folks. Their hearts are still tender toward the gospel. Their hearts are still tender toward God. The older you get, the harder it is to give your life to Christ. But you never give up because God can do miracles. So if you've been dealing with an old hard-hearted person that doesn't want to hear the gospel, keep sharing as God gives you the opportunity. Keep praying for them. Keep reaching out to them. Be a consistent Christian witness to them. You never know what God can do. So Jesus says as you share the gospel, you're going to run into hard-hearted folks. Then he says, sometimes as we share the gospel, the gospel is going to fall on shallow hearts. Looks really good, looks really promising on the surface, but it's hard underneath. The initial reaction to the gospel is, yeah, I believe that, I receive that, but over time, the revelation is seen, the demonstration is seen, that that initial excitement soon goes away because what looks like on the surface as an acceptance of Christ will be over time proved to be just a mirage. They never really gave their life to Christ. Jesus saw that a lot, the initial excitement of accepting the message, but over time, people forsaking him. There are people who seem at first to accept the gospel with joy and enthusiasm. They join the church. They get baptized. They're ready to go. But over time, whatever change appears in their lives soon disappear and they fall away from God. You don't see them at church anymore. You don't see much Christian content in their life anymore. And they go back to the way they used to live. Here's what, how Jesus describes it. And as he gives the explanation of the parable of the sower to his disciples in Matthew 13, 20 and 21. But he who received the seed on stony ground, this is he who hears the word, immediately receives it, receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles, he falls. And so Jesus talks about people, you share the gospel with them and immediately it seems like, yeah, they, 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 they accept it with joy, but over time, what appeared to be a salvation experience is revealed to be nothing but a religious hiccup in their life. They go back to living the way they used to live. Now, these people have not lost their salvation. They were not saved to start with. <laughs> they fall away because they have no root. 
They had no real faith in their life. They had a, a, a churchanity maybe, but not a Christianity. They had a religious hiccup in their life. Someone wrote this. Beware of conversions that are all smiles and cheers with no sense of repentance and humility. If a profession in Christ does not grow out of a deep sense of lostness, conviction of sin, and a real desire to repent, if it does not include a desire for the Lord to cleanse and to purify and to save, if it does not involve a willingness to deny self, to sacrifice, and to surrender to Christ, to follow Him, and to suffer for Him, then it is without root. Jesus said sometimes you're going to share the gospel, and these people will disappoint you. It looks like man... They've received Christ, but in reality, they haven't. Whatever religious things they begin to do at the beginning, they soon will abandon those things and leave those things, and they go back to living just the way they were living before they said they were saved. <laughs> That's disappointing. I've seen that in my own ministry, in my own life. People who just danced down the aisle and, oh, we were so happy and so joyful. They became a part of the fellowship. We baptized them. Three months later, four months later, you couldn't find them. And if you did find them, they were living the way they were living before they had their so-called conversion. So Jesus said, share the gospel, sow the seed, but beware. You're going to run into old hard hearts. You're going to run into shallow hearts. And then he says sometimes when we share the gospel, the gospel will fall upon crowded hearts. Sometimes when you share the gospel, people are going to be confronted. And they're going to say, yes, I, you know, this is true. I need to give my life to Christ. But then they think about in their own minds and hearts what they will have to give up if they follow Jesus. You know? What am I going to have to give up if I follow Christ? Well, you know, look at what I have. It was kind of like, it's kind of like the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler who came running to Jesus and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? He was wanting to follow Christ. He had that desire to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, well, you're worshiping money. So the thing you have to do is to abandon that worship of that false God in your life and give your life to me. And the rich young ruler wouldn't do that. He counted the cost, and he said, if I give up my life to Jesus Christ, I will lose too much. <laughs> and so some people hear the gospel, they're drawn to it. They know it's good, they know it's right, but they're not willing to make the commitment to follow Christ. Listen. The question is, not will it cost me if I follow Jesus? The answer to that, by the way, is it costs you everything. Salvation is free, but it ain't cheap. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. For you to follow Jesus Christ, you must abandon who you are and all that you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be willing to forsake all and follow him. 
The question is not will it, what will it cost me if I follow Christ. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your family. It may cost you your position. It may cost you money. It may cost you things in this world. But the question is not will it, what will it cost me if I follow Christ. The question is what will it cost me if I don't follow Christ. And you know what it will cost you? It will cost you your soul. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul. <laughs> and so Jesus says sometimes you're going to share the gospel. People hear it. They know it's the truth. They know they, what they, you know, should do. But they look around them and what is this going to cost me if I become a Christian? It's going to cost me friends. It's going to cost me this, that, or the other. And they're not willing to do it. They're not willing to pay the price. Their commitment is to their career, to their money, to their bank account, to their position, to the riches of this world. They love those things more than they love Jesus. And so many people will come to the brink of a decision and say, no, I want what I have in this world more than I want Jesus. My father is rich in houses and lands. And he holds all of the riches of the world in his hands. <laughs> but I'm a child of the king. And I have decided to forsake all, to follow my God. And whatever I have lost in following Jesus, he will, he will give to me in greater things that I can never lose in a greater way. So give your life to Christ. And so as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes we're going to run into people like that, like the rich young ruler. They want to do what's right, but they can't give up the world. They want to hang on to what they have in this world. But then Jesus said, when you share the gospel, sometimes you're going to share the gospel with people whose hearts are ready. <laughs> They're ready to believe. Verse 23 of Matthew 13. He who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understand it, understands it. That means to receive it. And indeed he bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. God has prepared that heart. You share the gospel. Oh, I love it when people get saved. I love it when people get saved. When you share the gospel and they hear it and God opens up their hearts and their minds to their lostness, to their need of Jesus, he gives them an understanding of the gospel. And when they, whether it's in a church or whether it's at a home or wherever it might be, they say the most precious words a human being can ever say in this world. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Christ. Don't you love it when people get saved? Amen. You know, churches need revival. You know what will give us a revival greater than anything else? To see people saved. Amen. Walking an aisle of a church. Giving their life to Christ. I was reading this week about uh, a church in, in Texas. It's having a tremendous revival. You know what sparked the revival? The pastor's wife got saved. She was not a Christian. She served alongside her husbands for so many years. Finally, one night, she came to her husband and said, Honey, I love you, and I love the church, and I love doing what we're doing, but you know, I've never given my life to Jesus. 
Now, if you're going to have a pastor's wife, it's good to have a saved one. Thank God I've got the one I've got. Thank God that you've got the one I've got, too. She gave her life to Christ. You know what's happened since then? That church has been baptizing people left and right. People have been coming to Christ, sparked by somebody who had the bravery to say, I've been playing around with church all of my life. I've really never given my life to Christ. I love it when people get saved. There are two evidences of a person truly being saved in this passage. What are the evidences of a person truly getting saved? The first evidence is when a person gets saved, Jesus changes their life. Jesus changes their life. There are people who say, well, I can't give my life to Christ because I don't think I can change. You don't have to worry about that. You give your life to Christ, God will change you. It's God who does the changing. It's God who makes us a new creation. It's God who makes us a new person. You don't have to change yourself to come to Christ. You don't have to stop doing what you're doing to come to Christ. You come to Christ and he'll change you and you'll stop doing what you're doing. The first evidence that we find in this passage of a truly saved person is that Jesus changes them. Now, Christians are not perfect. I'm not perfect. I tried to be perfect. It lasted five minutes in my life. <laughs> Christians are not perfect, but we are different. We're not perfect, but we are different because of what Christ has done in our life. You give your life to Christ, he'll change your old language. He'll clean up your mouth. He'll clean up your heart. He'll clean up your lifestyle. He'll clean up your conduct. He'll give you new values. He'll give you new priorities. He will change you. It's God who does the changing. It's God who gives us the new heart. So the first evidence of a truly saved person is that they're different. Jesus has changed them. He changed me. I, believe it or not, I know y'all think I'm so wonderful. You better. <laughs> you know, but man, did he ever change me. He, as the psalmist said, he put a new song in my mouth. He, gave, he changed who I am. I'm not perfect, not by any means, but I am different. And I'm different because of Jesus. I don't get up in the morning and say, okay, Chris, you got to be different today. I don't get up. I'm different because he's made me different. I'm not different by self-effort. I'm different because of what he has done in my heart and in my life. And so Jesus changes those he saves. Second of all, those he saves will bear fruit for him. Indeed, bears fruit and produces. When Jesus changes a person, that person will bear fruit for Jesus. And by the way, the difference Jesus makes is not a temporary difference. It's a lifelong difference. The proof that you're saved today is not what happened back then 40 years ago when you joined the church and was baptized. The proof that you're saved, you were saved then is how you are today. You're still different. The difference Jesus makes is not a temporary difference. And when Jesus saves a person, one of the evidences that we have truly been saved is we bear fruit for Christ. And it's really God who bears the fruit in us for him. Now, what does that mean, bear fruit for Christ? Well, it's the fruit of a desire to live a holy life. Do you know that I, I'm a Christian and I can sin all I want to? 
I'm sinned, saved, born again, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, and I can sin all I want to, but I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. Oh, if I could go another day never sinning against my God, it would be such great joy. I don't want to sin. I want to be holy. When God saves a person, He gives them the desire to live a clean and holy life. Now we'll fall. Peter failed. Great characters all you know in Christian history have failed. We won't be perfect, but we will be different. Do you have a desire to live a holy life? I want to be clean before my God. The fruit of a loving spirit. <laughs> you just you give your life to Jesus and you want to love people. You know, you just you want to love people. You want to love the saved, you want to love the lost. You know you're supposed to love them. Some people you have to really try to love. <laughs> but you, you have a loving spirit. That's a fruit that God produces in your life. A loving heart, a loving desire just to love people Amen. and to help people. Another fruit that he produces is a desire to serve the Lord. You want to serve the Lord who saves you. You want to be a personal witness. You, you, uh, the fruit of a simple faith. My faith is not complicated. I believe in Jesus. And I've given him my life. And that's my faith. It's not complicated. It's simple. I believe in him and I've given him my life. And I want to love him and I want to serve him. That's what he's produced in my life. That's the fruit of salvation that he has produced in my life. And so... How do you, and, and by the way, Jesus mentions different, you know, some 100 fold, some 60, some 30. That's a recognition that some people have more opportunities than others to serve the Lord. Some may, people may have more ability to serve others than the Lord. The Lord doesn't say that the 100 fold is better than the 30 fold. It's just that he recognizes and we understand that some people have more of an opportunity to do things for the Lord, even more of an ability to do things for the Lord. But everyone's bear, everyone who's saved will bear fruit and God will bless everyone who does. And so that's this first parable. Isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that a beautiful story? Every believer is to be a sower of the seed. To share our testimony. To share our personal witness. To work with our fellow church members. To do what we can to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of junk on Facebook. <laughs> I do a lot of blocking. I never thought I'd be on that social media stuff, you know, but then I had to get on it and all this kind of stuff. And now I do, you know, I do a lot of it. There's a lot of junk on there. But thank God you give, you have the opportunity to share the good news on Facebook until they kick you off. <laughs> all right? You can share the good news. You do whatever you can to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Individually, with others. And we're to share the gospel with everybody. Don't you call nobody out. Don't you say, well, that person, because of their color, is not worthy of me sharing the gospel with. Don't you do that. Jesus died for that person. Who are you to call them out? Who are you to call out somebody that Jesus died for? Shame on us for doing that. Amen. Shame on us for doing that. We're to share the seed generously with everybody. The good news is this. An old hard heart 
An old worldly heart that doesn't want to forsake the world. An old shallow heart doesn't have to stay that way. Because before you got saved, you were one of those hearts. You were a hard heart or a worldly heart or a shallow heart. And God changed you. Those hearts didn't, do not have to stay that way. The Holy Spirit of God can change any kind of heart into a fertile heart, ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know in my heart, everybody in here is saved. I know in my heart, everybody in here has given their life to Christ. I pray that that is true. And I hope you have the blessed assurance in your heart that you've given your life to Christ. If you have doubt about it, don't ignore that doubt. Let's talk it over. Let's get it settled. Let's get it settled before the Lord. You know what courage it took for that woman to go to her husband and tell him that she's never been born again? By the way, I've heard of preachers getting saved too. Pastors getting saved too. That's happened. I've heard of deacons getting saved. You know? I mean, the Lord saves anybody who will believe in him, whether you're in the gutter or in the church. You can be religious but lost. And there are a lot of people who are. Give your life to Christ. Settle that issue. And let's work together to sow the seed. I'm ready, aren't you? I mean, we're sharing the good news of God. We should do that.